Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Awfully uh, excited about today. Rob Louie is going to be joining me in about 60 seconds. So looking forward to that. Uh, it's going to be a, a great uh, uh, interview with Dr. Linda Mintel after that. And a full hour with John and Pam Bloom. We usually do Deep, Deep Thinker Thursday, but according to my calendar, it's Tuesday. So we'll call it Deep Thinker Tuesday. It's going to be different, but uh, pretty much the same. So I opened up the paper today and they've got this ready for winter, this checklist for Minnesota homeowners. I've shortened the checklist. Lock door, leave town. That would be my answer. So anyway, I'm I'm already dreading a little bit the cold. Just that cold, windy, rainy thing today was like, oh, that's a reminder of what's coming. But I got to be grateful. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it. And I'm looking um, at a passage right out of Proverbs chapter 15 and, and verse 23. It says, a person finds joy in giving an apt reply. And how good is a timely word. And my first guest, Rob Louie, is going to have a timely word and an apt reply because he is the best. He is the executive editor of The Daily Signal. We'll take a short break and get uh, with Rob in just a minute. What's it all for? The months of planting and fertilizing and, of course, praying for rain. It's all for the harvest when you reap the rewards of all you've been working for. For over 70 years, friends like you have been planting seeds through the Ministry of Faith Radio and there's been a harvest of changed lives. But today, more than ever, the soil is ready. Will you meet us in the field? Find out how you can be part of the effort at MyFaithRadio.com. Declaring truth. Praising God. Faith Radio. Okay, that walk-up music belongs to Rob Bluey, executive editor of The Daily Signal, father of three. Latest edition, Savannah Grace, came about seven weeks ago. Rob, welcome back. Hey, it's great to be with you, Bill. Thanks for having me. Do I have Savannah's uh, birthday around the right age, about seven weeks? Yes, uh, that's just about right. Yes, September 2nd. <laughs> cool, cool. All right, uh, busy day for you and uh, the Heritage Foundation. We had uh, Mike Pompeo this morning speak. I got to hear all about that. Yes, uh, this is our President's Club meeting. So once a year, we bring together some of our supporters in Washington, D.C. to hear all about what's going on. And uh, you're absolutely right. We started the day with Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, and we're going to be ending the night with uh, Vice President Mike Pence. So it is uh, it is certainly busy. And, you know, Mike Pompeo, uh, you know, the thing that really stuck out to me, Bill, is how much he loves America. He has traveled to 55 different countries all around the globe, places that 
Previous secretaries of state have never been. Uh, you know, he talked about going to Macedonia being the first, uh, you know, U.S. Uh, delegation to go there, um, and just how much they love America and cherish, you know, the uh, allied relationship we have with that country. So. It was really inspiring to to hear about the good things that are happening, uh, especially in a in a world where it seems we always just tend to hear about the bad news. And and frankly, there is some of that. But uh, but you know, he brought a message of optimism to us tonight. Yeah, and he's a West Point grad, isn't he? He certainly is. Yes, uh, service in the army. Yeah, uh, went on to serve in Congress, representing the state of Kansas. Uh, became CIA director, and uh, you know. President Trump decided to elevate him to Secretary of State, and he said some pretty high-profile uh, roles. I mean, just most recently, within the last week, he was over in Turkey trying to negotiate that ceasefire. So, I mean, this is a man who uh, you know, is, a, is a global traveler, for sure. Yeah, and he's uh, a man who talks about uh, being a follower of Christ and, and trying to be a Christian leader, and he makes no apologies about that, which I really appreciate. And that was a big part of his speech today. He spent a lot of time talking about religious religious freedom being our first freedom here in the United States and how important it is for the United States to uphold that freedom as an example for other countries. Let's face it, we uh, sometimes maybe take for granted that we have that freedom where other countries, you know, don't necessarily have that same respect. And he has gone around the world advocating for religious freedom. He has a great ambassador in Sam Brownback. Uh, the former governor of Kansas, who is is doing tremendous work in that regard. Um, And of course, just a few weeks ago at the United Nations, uh, the United States convened the first ever meeting on on religious freedom. So uh, there's a lot of good things happening at the State Department, despite uh, the fact that, you know, I think you have a a bureaucracy over there that sometimes uh, moves slowly, but you need a leader uh, who's dynamic like Mike Pompeo to to really shake things up and make sure that they're on the right course. So Rob, what does it mean to say that, that something is in an unalienable right? I mean, of course, I know the answer, but I'd rather have you say it. Yeah, so, so I, I think you might be referring to this new commission that the uh, that the secretary has yes, has formed. I yes, uh, on human rights. And uh, no, look, this is uh, this is something that uh, he again was very passionate about the, this morning. Um, you know, there is uh, the first meeting of this uh, this commission will take place tomorrow, and uh, this is to to point out the importance of human rights uh, around the globe. And uh, what does it mean? Uh, well, let's face it, dictators. Uh, you know, use that word in various nefarious ways, as my colleague uh, Fred Lucas put it in his story. But the United States is going to stand firm and make sure that we define what a human right is. And we're not going to let people uh, from Venezuela or others that uh, the United Nations has put on its Human Rights Council dictate to us what that means, because they have a drastically different definition than what it means in the United States. The example that he gave this morning I thought was quite startling. So I, I, you know, I will we'll use it uh, here. But he said, you know, in other countries, it is the norm that you might not you might leave for work and not know if you're going to show up uh, at home again. I mean, wow. because that's that's how the state operates. I mean, they will take you out if you disagree with them. And they have widespread human rights abuses. Think about the freedoms that we enjoy in this country to speak our mind. Uh, and, you know, he wants to make sure that, again, just like on religious freedom, we are exporting this good value and principle around the globe. Mm-hmm. Rob, what is Vice President Pence going to say tonight? Do you know the uh, his speech, what he's going to talk well, about? We expect him to talk about the economy. We expect him to talk about his recent trip to Turkey and some of the foreign policy achievements that that he's been able to achieve. Uh, I think that he's going to be a celebration of a lot of the accomplishments that you've seen President Trump make. I expect him to talk about judges, 
Of course, this president is very proud of his record of, of you know, putting judges on the bench who believe in uh, the original meaning of the Constitution, uh, what it says, and, and not interpreting it in other ways. Uh, so I expect all those to be big topics of the vice presidents. And, of course, I would be remiss to mention this is the first time we're ever hosting the Heritage Honors Gala, and we will be, uh, we will be celebrating a special man. Uh, that's our founder, Dr. Edwin J. Fulner, uh, who – you know, more than 40 years ago, uh, decided to help create this great organization, which uh, which gave birth to the Daily Signal five years ago, and so many wonderful things. So I'm sure that the vice president's going to have some wonderful things to say about Dr. Fulner too. Wow! Is it dinner as well tonight, Rob? It is. Yes, he's uh, he's speaking at dinner. Uh, we'll uh, you know expect to uh, to see a big turnout. We have uh, 1,500 guests who are coming and uh, in their nice. black ties and, and gowns. Oh, wow! So, Bill, it's uh, it's quite the quite the event uh, tonight in Washington D.C. Yeah, do you rent or do you own? I own. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why did I know that? All right, let's talk about the uh, the Pfizer reports, and they're they're dragging their feet on this, aren't they? They are, yeah. So a couple important stories here. Uh, certainly, you can read read that about that one at the the Daily Signal. Senator Chuck Grassley is upset that we don't have answers yet, and mm-hmm. he uh, he's looking for for some answers. He wants to know why Michael Horowitz uh, appears to be dragging his feet on this. Uh, what the delay is a result of. Uh, we were supposed to be seeing this originally back in June, which. By the way, seems like a long time for us to even get it. I mean, considering how long ago this took place uh, prior to the 2016 election. Uh, but apparently, there's a dispute taking place between the FBI and the Justice Department, and they can't resolve what will be redacted in the report. And it's frustrating some members of Congress, including Senator Grassley, who you know wants to know what it says, and uh, and I think the American people deserve to know what it says. Uh, we did a separate interview with. Um, uh, with uh, so, sorry, uh, Andy McCarthy. Sorry about that. Uh, right. <laughs> temporary slip there, and uh, and Andy McCarthy made some great points. He's on our podcast today, talking about this very steel dossier and all of the things that went along with it, and some of the questions that were really swept under the rug by the previous administration that we still don't have the answers to. For as much transparency that the Democrats demand of President Trump, uh, I think it's only right that we expect the same to become of, you know, what happened in the closing days of the Obama administration on yeah. this topic. Yeah. Have you ever um, interviewed Chuck Grassley? I, I have a, a long time ago. Okay. Uh, you know, I uh, he, he is uh, somebody who has a unique style, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. He seems like a pretty good guy. Is he, he is. Yeah. He's, he's absolutely great. I, I loved when he, he led the Judiciary Committee. He was a, a terrific uh, person to be in that spot. Uh, you know, I, I had the job uh, prior to, uh, to working at the Daily Signal. Uh, it was my role to go around Capitol Hill when I was at Human Events and interview senators and members of Congress for, for a feature we did each week. We'd pick a question and we'd, we'd have to track them down. So I, I like to, to think back fondly of those days because I would hang out by elevators and escalators <laughs> and outside their offices and try to catch them. And, right. and, and Senator Grassley was always one of the good ones. He yeah. would always find a moment to talk to you. They gave you a chance to wear your tux every week. All right, Rob, let me take a little break. Rob Louie is my guest. He's the executive editor of The Daily Signal. Go to dailysignal.com to learn more about these great stories we're talking about live. We'll be right back in 90 seconds.
Hey, Rob, I was thinking that I, I am more confused than I look, but I really don't know what the impeachable offense is that is haunting President Trump. Well, the Democrats have uh, pretty much settled on abuse of power as being the, the line of attack that they're going to use. Now, mm-hmm. I think there's debate about whether that is actually an impeachable offense, as you indicate their bill. I mean, that's, um, that's something, though, that they've said right from the get-go. There have been members of Congress who've said you actually don't need to commit high crimes and misdemeanors. We can impeach you if we just don't like you. Okay. <laughs> so if they're going by that standard, uh, I think it's probably likely going to happen. Uh, look, but I, I think that there's a number of factors here we still don't know. I mean, more testimony still coming out today. Uh, the ambassador to Ukraine was, was speaking to uh, Congressional Committee today. So there's a lot that's uh, still planning to, uh, to be released at this stage. The Democrats do seem intent on following through with this, though. There are just a handful who haven't committed to uh, voting for impeachment. I don't know that they even need that a remaining handful to actually get it done. It seems that the votes are locked up, and it's just a mere, mere uh, matter of time before they uh, go through the formal process of doing so. Of course, that only is one half, though. I mean, the Senate would need to vote to convict, and it seems unlikely at this point that Republicans would defect from the president and uh, and vote to do that. You may get a handful here or there. Mitt Romney uh, is one person whose name is often mentioned. Uh, but I don't think you're going to get the 67 needed to convict him and remove him from office. Were you talking about uh, Pierre Delecto? <laughs> what do you mean, Bill? <laughs> I mean the Mitt Romney and the uh, the fake Twitter account. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Well, look, <laughs> Mitt Romney's been in the news quite a bit, I think, for a lot of the wrong reasons lately. I yeah. mean, he's taking taking some positions that are, are rather unorthodox for somebody who comes from a conservative Utah. Uh, he might not like Donald Trump personally, and I think it's given rise to people doing fake accounts and, and people mocking him. And, and, you know, even those who have withdrawn their support from him back home. So, We'll have to see how far he's willing to take this. Uh, there's always those who are going to be antagonists or critical of the president. I think that's fine. Look, there are policy differences that uh, that we have at the Heritage Foundation from the president. We don't particularly like all of his rhetoric on on trade, uh, for for one. Um, we we certainly have been critical of his uh, lack of effort to restrain government spending. But at the end of the day, I think if you look at what's going on with impeachment, it's purely a political exercise. It's been that way from the very beginning, almost from the day that he was mm-hmm. inaugurated. And, uh, and therefore, you have to question whether or not this is actually uh, something that really is going to benefit us at the end of the day, or if it's really just revenge for what Republicans did to Bill Clinton or their dislike for Trump. Yeah, of course, Mitt Romney said he did it to lurk and defend himself. I guess the lurker, you, right. Yeah. So I guess when you defend yourself, it's a bold stance to pretend to be someone else. Right. Well, hey, you know, <laughs> this is uh, we live in a new era, Bill. That's, that's <laughs> I'm for aware sure. Of that. When, when senators are, are running their own Twitter accounts and the president of the United States is dictating news that, cycles on Twitter. So, yeah, true. you uh, <laughs> you you, you we're, we're experiencing things today that imagine our founding fathers probably would never would have imagined we would have yeah. uh, would have been going through. OK, Rob, let's stay in the social media lane here. So Facebook is getting ready for the election and they're going to start clearly marking fake news. That's right. Well, you know, I had the opportunity to listen to Mark Zuckerberg's speech at Georgetown University last week, which on the whole I found very uplifting and promising. Uh, His embrace of free expression and giving uh, others a voice, I think, is welcome news to a lot of conservatives and Christians who feel that they've been uh, relegated to the sidelines or their content suppressed because they didn't it didn't necessarily align with the values of uh, those who work in Silicon Valley. 
what I think Zuckerberg's trying to do here is have a balance. I mean, clearly he doesn't want fake news on the platform, deliberately fake news. I mean, there are those news stories which, you know, as news is breaking, I mean, frankly, you're still finding out all the facts, and, uh, and I wouldn't put that in the category of fake news. What, what I understand is that Facebook doesn't want deliberately fake things being spread on its platform because that's what its user base has told it. And frankly, as a private company, they're entitled to you know, operate however they want. And I think as, as a conservative, we should um, you know, use, use the power of our, our feet and, and, uh, and what we can do uh, in terms of where we move and where we spend our time. But I don't want the government stepping in to regulate here. Uh, I think it's much better to have Facebook in the position of making these decisions itself and some regulator in Washington deciding um, what is deemed as fake news or real news. So uh, all we can do is keep a watchful eye on Facebook and hold them accountable. I think that's our role as users of the platform. Mm-hmm. Rob, I'm interested uh, in always getting your opinion on everything. So I know we're going to talk a little bit of A to Z today, but there is another uh, uh, world cycling championship where a biological male did win the women's division. And at what point uh, does this start to uh, run into a lot of money for the winners and all of a sudden... The women are going, wait a minute, we're getting cut out of all of the uh, prize money and everything else. Well, I think the prize money is certainly one factor. And then, of course, the recognition that, that comes with uh, you know, winning a gold medal right. or winning the championship. I mean, there's, there's a whole number of factors. I mean, yes, uh, it, it, is, it is having a dramatic effect. I think that's why you see in some women's groups, uh, including uh, the Women's Liberation Front, join us at the Heritage Foundation to speak out against this. I mean, they are concerned about the implication for girls and women down the road. What will it mean for the future of women's sports? Will women's sports actually exist, or or will women be able to compete against some of these uh, transgender you know, male athletes uh, who, you know, in, in some cases were, were competing even, you know, just recently as, as men? Um, so, you know, there's a there's a real big implication here about uh, what happens in the future, and I think it uh, needs to be something that we look at very closely, and uh, and I think that's why you see women increasingly speaking out and concerned about the issue. Yeah. All right, let's talk about uh, immigration and the, and the border issue, and we're finding all kinds of ways to get in, and families are, are giving false information about being families and claiming to be minors and all kinds of stuff. Well, and you know what, Bill? You're in luck because I just came from that event, the President's Club meeting of the Heritage Foundation, and I had the opportunity to moderate a discussion between Ken Cuccinelli, Tom Homan, and Mark Morgan. And Ken and Mark, of course, are at Department of Homeland Security in acting positions, and Tom's formerly there. So they. yeah, they uh, they were um, fired up. I mean, they are frustrated with the, the activist judges who are striking down the rules. They are frustrated that Congress is not doing anything. They feel that their hands are tied in some respects, but they are charging forward. Uh, they feel the need to build the wall. They need to to step up uh, interior enforcement in this, this country. They need to do a whole number of things to prevent uh, those people who are coming to this country illegally. I think at the end of the day, the one message that I took away from their remarks is that they believe in the rule of law, and they believe that this country is a country that was founded on the law. They're going to defend the Constitution, and they know they're going to be, you know, they're not going to be popular among certain members of Congress, and will probably get called to testify and uh, be challenged. But they feel that this is their uh, their prerogative to to be able to do that uh, to carry out the agenda of this president. Mm-hmm. I assume you read uh, Bill Barr, William Barr's uh, speech from Notre Dame. Yes, it was fantastic. It was brilliant, I thought, and you know, he's saying now that secularists are are doing what they're saying that we're doing. They're 
imposing, they're saying they're trying to impose their religion on us. That's right. Well, I mean, you see it all over the place, particularly on a college campus, which is why I was glad to see him deliver it there, um, you know, in a college setting. I mean, I obviously Notre Dame is slightly different than probably a California uh, at Berkeley, but uh, for, by no means, you know, do, do, is this uh, is this an issue that's uh, – uh, affecting a lot of people. Um, not only do we see it uh, on college campuses, but we see it in all walks of life. And I think that's why it was so important to have the attorney general, the highest law enforcement official in the United States, uh, talk about this and talk about the, the role that secular, secularists are, are playing in our culture. It is, uh, And it comes on the heels, by the way, of this uh, new poll that was out that showed that uh, there are fewer and fewer people identifying with the religion or Christians uh, personally. Mm-hmm. What did you think about the Project Veritas um, infiltration of CNN? Look, I mean, I, <laughs> I have, I have never been somebody who's uh, who's gone undercover, Bill. I, I think I did it one time as a journalist, and uh, it's, it's hard work. I mean, it is you have to strike the right balance, right? I mean, there are there are stories that have come out, the famous food lion story from years ago. But I think Project Veritas does good work. I think it's controversial work. I think that when when they put out the whole video and you have the full context of what they did, you know, it's oftentimes valuable. There are those who will in the in the media world who will criticize them, particularly when they're focused on a media organization like CNN. So I'm not surprised by the reaction to it. At the same time, I think it's important work that somebody needs to do. Uh, it takes a special type of person to be able to do that and pull it off successfully. Mm-hmm. So do you think that President Trump's tax returns will ever come to the surface? It seems that if uh, the, the New York uh, gets its way, uh, it's moving in that direction. Again, here you have another situation where, where the court rulings have gone against the president. So it's only a matter of time, I think, where uh, the, the New York and the Californias and other places that have gone after him on this point uh, will get their way. Uh, whether or not the president is able to block them before the 2020 election is probably, you know, a question of how long does this this drag out. Um, but you know, that's we've got a long time between now and then, a full year or more. So it's my suspicion that we probably will see them before the election. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what do you think about the shifting candidates on, on the on the Democratic side? They're all kind well, of <laughs> they're all moving around. They, well, they are moving around, but I mean, let's face it. I mean, this is what we want. We want a robust debate. Uh, we want a, a, a deep policy discussion, hopefully on the issues, substantive matters. Uh, that's that's what counts. This is the time. Just like Republicans went through this four years ago, uh, this is the time when uh, voters are getting making up their mind. I'm not surprised to see the poll numbers fluctuate like they are, especially in the wake of debates. Um, but you know, here's the thing, Bill. What we really need in this country is an honest conversation about how to make life better for all Americans. And I think if we can do that, we're all uh, going to be in a, in a better situation at the end of the day. And hopefully we can keep the, the mudslinging and the name-calling to a minimum and focus on substantive debates. Yeah, Rob Blue, you are, the vo- you are the voice of reason. Thank you so much for doing the show every week. I look forward to talking to you every week. Thanks, Bill. It's and, great to be with you. Yep, and have fun with the vice president tonight. Say hi to him Thank for me you. if you think of it. Will do. All right. <laughs> Rob Blue has been my guest, uh, executive editor of The Daily Signal. Go to dailysignal.com to learn more about him and his brilliant staff. We'll take a short break and be back with Dr. Linda Mintel.
Dr. Linda Mintel is the relationship doctor. She, of course, can be heard here at on Faith Radio Saturdays at 10.30 a.m. and Sundays at 6.30 p.m., the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. And she's written a new book called Living Beyond Pain, a holistic approach to manage pain and get your life back. It's been a while since we've chatted. Linda, hi, how are you? I'm good. I thought you might be playing Reunited, and it feels so good. <laughs> I wish I would have. <laughs> Maybe we'll do that when we come back from break. Yeah, it's been a while. So yeah. I'm glad to be talking to you again. And congratulations on your new book. Thank you so much. Yeah. I would like to um, find out, for, just for starters, what are the, the five most common forms of pain? And don't say doing my show. <laughs> that was on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> All right, good. I beat you to it. Yeah. So, so this is a little bit different for me than what probably your audience is used to hearing about me because we're really taking on a physical pain this right. time. As we talk about physical pain, of course, there is uh, the the emotional part that comes along with that. Certainly anyone who's experienced chronic pain. And, and Bill, it was shocking to me that that number is 100 million people living in, in the wow. United States are dealing with chronic pain. I mean, when you That's put staggering. that number together, it's more than heart disease, diabetes, and cancer combined. So that's a lot of your listeners. So what we wanted to do was look at, you know, what is it that's going on with people? How can we help people? What can we do? So we're looking at all kinds of pain. I think the most common for people is headaches. A lot of people deal with that, um, and they're struggling with that. Low back pain, which mm-hmm. is one that I was very familiar with until I had surgery. A neck pain, osteoarthritis, and fibromyalgia are probably the five most common types of pain. But we're talking about a couple of uh, different really categories of pain. When we talk about a certain type of pain that's due to injury, that's called nociceptive pain. And then there's a type that's neuropathic or more nerve pain. There's also inflammatory pain that happens with inflammation in the body. And then the one that we're not going to talk so much about is the, the cancer type of pain, because that really is treated with um, its own type of special type of treatment of pain. So there's a lot of different types of physical pain that people can have and, and are enduring. And, and Linda, the brain has a, a strong connection to the pain in the body as well, doesn't it? Can't we change our brain a little bit and maybe that will affect our pain? Oh my gosh, it's so connected and it's not something you think about. When First, you have to understand what happens with chronic pain. So when we're talking about chronic pain, we're talking about pain that lasts after the injury is healed mm-hmm. or after the problem is taken care of. But what happens is that the the nervous system remembers and the central nervous system is comprised of the brain and the spinal cord and all of that has to do with how pain is transmitted up to the brain. You actually feel pain in your brain. So if you have no brain, you have no pain. Nice. So the you you'll like this, the bane of pain is plainly in the brain. I like. <laughs> oh, there you, there you go. Um, so it's all a perception. That doesn't mean it's not real. It's very real. And what's happening is the central nervous system has gotten what we call sensitized. It's firing when there is actually no stimulus to make it do that. So I, we use an analogy in the book. We talk about, you know, pain is good for us. When you have acute pain, it means that it's a signal. There's something wrong in the body. It's telling your body that you better be, you better watch out. You better be careful and you might attend to whatever's happening. But chronic pain is like an alarm system that's misfiring. It's like there's the, the, the reason for the alarm is gone, but your system keeps firing. So it's very real. People that are having chronic pain are really 
having that pain, even though pain is in the brain and it's a perception that you can work on and that you can change. So part of understanding what is going on with people in chronic pain is understanding that their central nervous system has gotten very sensitized, very very easily acceptable to pain. There are gates that are opening and, and letting that pain signal get to the brain and telling them they're in pain. And so a lot of the book is on how do you turn that volume on pain down? How do you calm down that central nervous system so you can start living a fuller life and get your life back? Now, Linda, you deal with pain management in the book as well. And I know you address issues right. like uh, pain relieving medication, over-the-counter versus prescribed uh, medication, which can be easily abused because, as we know, the opioid crisis is like in our country right now. Maybe you would talk about that. Yeah, so there's so we talk about this. Oh, my gosh, I'm getting That's all okay. You're a very popular well, person. Well, you know what? It's you... my birthday today. Did oh, you know? happy birthday. Yeah, that's why I <laughs> everything I could as we were talking, but there are certain things I can't turn off. I don't know how to that's, turn don't worry. Off. Don't worry about it. So anyway, um, yeah, let's go back to that. So... Um, it's my birthday, so you cut me a break. Oh, you're getting a huge break. <laughs> I'm getting a huge break. Yeah. So I forgot the question now that I got interrupted. That's so okay. The question okay. was, you talk about uh, pain management in your book and medication yeah. and oh, simple yeah, yeah. simple drugs like, you know, over-the-counter uh, ibuprofen and acetaminophen, yeah. and then also what happens when you start using opioids and how yeah. easy it is to abuse those and get, then get in a whole different kind of trouble. Yeah, so we've learned so much about what happened, unfortunately, by the opioid crisis. So there were a number of people that were taking, were prescribed a narcotic or an opioid after they had surgery or an injury, or even a number of people that had their wisdom teeth pulled out, they were given a prescription for narcotics. What we didn't know is that a certain percentage of those people could easily go on and become addicted. So there are times when opioids are appropriate for people to use. They have to be followed, regulated by a physician, and there are all kinds of regulations now that really monitor a person who's getting those opioids. The problem is when we're talking about chronic pain, those opioids and those narcotics do not work very well mm -hmm. for people in chronic pain. You build a tolerance, then you have to have more, and then obviously there's the, the whole problem of addiction and even death. So we wanted to give all of the alternatives that we could, non-pharmacological approaches to, to dealing with pain. And so we spend most of the book actually looking at all the things that you can do to deal with your pain that are not related to taking some type of medication, because there are so many other approaches. And one of them is I work in an osteopathic um, medical school, and a lot of people aren't even aware that osteopathic manipulative treatment, which is what osteopathic physicians do with their hands, they actually can move uh, their hands around the body and create and, and deal with structural problems that often cause pain. And, and they also can um, help a lot of pain conditions like headaches and back pain and hip pain and all kinds of things with their hands. That's a treatment that does not require medication, is highly effective that a lot of people don't know about. There also, um, we, we reviewed all kinds of uh, treatments that are out there. We looked at the science bill. So we're only looking at evidence-based treatments. So a lot of things that are popular, but they're not scientifically based. They didn't pass the mustard, so to speak. Um, we, we talk about those in the book as well. Yeah, because your body remembers trauma, doesn't it? I mean, you could have fallen out of a tree when you were nine and still have a problem in your neck 20 years later that you never, never even knew you had. 
Yeah, and if you're one of those people that has had a lot of pain experiences, that it's the brain does remember that, and you, it's almost like there's a fast lane then to to pain in your brain, and you're more susceptible to having uh, a chronic pain because of that. So, trauma experiences, pain experiences, injuries, lots of injuries can set you up again to have chronic pain. And you want to be able to have um, a way to manage that, that again, isn't going to get you in trouble. And we talked to so many people. I mean, Daryl Strawberry was one of the endorsers of the book, and he obviously had a lot of problems with uh, chronic pain as a baseball player um, and, you know, dealt with a lot of addiction problems. Uh, Mike Lindell, who a lot of people know as the founder of the MyPillow, he had an opioid addiction and started a bunch of treatment centers. Uh, Dr. Ben Carson uh, was so kind to endorse it because he was, he knows the opioid crisis has happened. You know, part of it was because physicians were told that these drugs were not addictive. And um, Big Pharma was really pushing all of this. And it got into a, a point where you had to do something to treat pain. And we didn't know a lot about the addictive problem properties like we do now. Yeah. So now we've got a crisis, but now we're trying to, um, you know, give people some real life solutions so that they can turn down that pain. I think, uh, Linda, it's been about four and a half minutes since I last wished you happy birthday. So I'd like to do that again right now. So <laughs> happy so birthday. Much. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just want to keep that at the forefront of this interview. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I know there's a lot of people listening right now that are feeling desperate because they want this information and they want it now. So let's talk a little bit about how you can change your thoughts and change your emotions and have that change your pain. So interesting that if you have a lot of negative thoughts about your pain, if you're thinking things like, um, I'm never going to get better, I can't get out of bed, my life is ruined, I'm going to have to be disabled, we, we call those catastrophic thoughts because they only have a bad ending and they're very um, catastrophic when you think about that, if that would really be your life. The more you think like that, the more you're t turning up the volume on your pain in your body. Mm -hmm. Your pain actually gets worse. Then the same is true with negative emotional states. Now, it is true that a lot of people with chronic pain have depression because it's, it's depressing to be feeling pain on a constant basis. But if you don't treat that depression and if you don't develop a mindset that stays optimistic, that stays hopeful, that um, focuses on the blessings and gratitudes in your life, even though you're still struggling in, in parts of your life, the more negative emotional states uh, you have, the worse your pain is going to be. People who are angry and unforgiving and blame God and then get upset with all the people in their life, those people are actually by those, those emotions and those thoughts are actually turning up the pain volume. Yeah, it's a, it's a real battle. I mean, even if I had a sore shoulder and I saw you and you say, how are you, Bill? And I go, oh, my shoulder hurts. I mean, even always talking about it is firing up in my brain, isn't it? That I've got yeah. pain and I'm reminding myself how much that hurts. Yes, and the the brain will pay attention to the things that you tell it are important. Mm -hmm. So that is exactly right. Attention to pain makes pain worse. Again, we're not telling people, well, just act like you don't have pain because that would be silly because right. you are having pain. But if you can distract yourself away from the pain, and you know what's so great in uh, the Christian life is that we're called to serve other people. So it's been very interesting in talking to people with pain stories that when they began to 
volunteer, to start serving in their church, to doing whatever they could on a physical basis. And even if it's calling people and talking to people and encouraging people, the more they did that and they got away from their pain and distracted their themselves with doing good things for other people, the better their pain actually was. Mm-hmm. A listener just jumped in and wants to know, does your book cover chronic tinnitus or tinnitus? I didn't never yeah. know quite how to say that. Tinnitus is the, actually the right way to say that. Okay. Um, it doesn't because we're not, we're not actually covering very specific conditions. Okay. Um, and that is a specific medical problem that has a very specific type of treatment for it. It does cause a lot of pain. But I think even though we're not calling out every condition that there is in the book, that if you read all the things that you can do to help that pain, and there are some very interesting implants that are being done now with that um, in the ear, things that can help it, uh, that's kind of on the cutting edge of research. But the, the, the emotional things that we talk about in the book, the thinking part of what we're talking about with pain, the distracting away from it, the lifestyle changes that you can make with pain, and there's a number of those that we talk about, um, like an anti-inflammatory diet. We looked at all the diets. Um, we picked the one from the Cleveland Clinic, which seems to be more like the Mediterranean diet, because anytime you can decrease inflammation in your body, it really helps pain. So that diet change can help people with pain. So I still think even though we're not calling out specific conditions, um, because there's so many, if we did that, we just kind of hit the top five just to mention that. But all of the things we're talking about in the book relate to, again, turning down that volume improving your functioning, and giving you a much better quality of life. That's always the goal. I love it. Dr. Linda Mintel is my guest, and I hired a very expensive service in honor of your day, and here it is. (laughs) Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Dr. Linda. You're awesome, and we love you so much. Thank you for joining Bill on the show. Happy birthday to you. Oh, that was great. I think several people were trying to chime in when they were calling me and texting me during the time we were talking. Uh, we'll take a break and be right back with more of Dr. Linda Mental. Talking to Dr. Linda Mintel on her birthday. Awfully fun to be catching up with her. She's got a book called Living Beyond Pain, a holistic approach to manage pain and get your life back. All right, let's talk about expectations, Linda, because as you get older and you start to have pain and we live in a fallen world and those little arthritic things happen or osteo whatever, whatever that word is, and how should we best think about it theologically? Do we just go, well, it's a fallen world and my body's falling apart. So what's the point? <laughs> there is still a lot you can do with your body that's falling apart to make it not so falling apart. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah. You're preaching to the choir right now. Right. So that's part of the issue is as you get older, looking at your lifestyle and, and the things that you're doing. The biggest thing for all of us is to keep doing exercise and movement. And I I know I I was on another show and a a woman called in. She said, I'm sorry, I've tried movement and it just hurts. 
And I know that's true because you're in pain, but if you can meet with your doctor or meet with an exercise physiologist or a personal trainer or somebody who understands chronic pain so that you're not re-injuring yourself, but just getting up and moving, moving, like instead of having someone bring you the paper or bring, nobody gets a paper anymore, having somebody bring you maybe some food to your chair in the living room, you get up and you go do it, even if it takes you a while to do it. It's so important as we get older just to keep movement going, uh, whether that's just a little bit of walking, even if it's a little bit a day, getting your body. And if you can, if you can really do something like a Pilates class or something where you can actually work on strengthening the core, there have been people's lives that have been miraculously even transformed from doing core work um, with movement that doesn't hurt them, but gets them moving again. There, We looked at that evidence. We looked at these things called systematic reviews, where you look at all these studies that are done very well scientifically. Exercise never makes pain worse. It always helps. And I know that sometimes that's a step of faith for some people. But wherever you are, just start moving a little bit more and make it a goal. You know, you know, Bill, we talked about, we had this concept in the book that actually the physician who co-wrote it with me came up with. His wife is a Tour de France. She loves the Tour de France, and she watches it um, every year. And she told us this really interesting story, and then we, we, we looked it up. And here's the story. For 100 years, 100 years, the British team had never won had never won it. And they, they got tired of losing. They're kind of like Cubs fans, you know, for 108 years, <laughs> we never won. <laughs> mm-hmm. Tired of losing. We hired a new coach, right? Although that coach is now not there anymore. Um, but they, so they hired this coach and they said, this coach came in and he borrowed a concept from business. And the concept was this, it's a concept called marginal gains. And what he did is he looked at the bikes and he, he looked at every aspect of riding. He looked at the handlebars, the seat, the color of the bike, the amount of dirt they got on the bike, all these different aspects of the bike in terms of what it took to ride in that race and win that race. And he said, we're going we're gonna to improve each and every aspect of that bike 1%. And by five years, we'll probably win the race. And in three years, they actually won the race. And the concept of marginal gains is, is this. It's that if you make small changes in a lot of aspects of your life, the cumulative effect is really tremendous. And really, that's what the book is about. We're looking at everything from the way you think, the beliefs you hold, the way that you process your emotions, to the way that you eat, to the way that you move, to all types of things about your life. There are so many things that you actually have control over that you can change that will make a difference in the way you feel. Mm-hmm. So if we think of changing our lifestyle and you can change your pain through changing lifestyle, we can make decisions right away by exercise. Right. You talk about you know, exercise, how it's never a loss. It's always a gain, even though if it hurts, if you can sustain it long enough, your brain will pump out some endorphins, which are feel-good chemicals. That's right. So that would be a good thing. You can reduce uh, things like alcohol intake and smoking and weight management and your book covers all this, even hydrating a little bit better will make you feel more energetic, won't it? That's right. And so I know those are things people know, but when you're in chronic pain, making those changes, even a little bit of weight loss, and I know that's really hard. I've written lots of books on losing weight. So I know how difficult weight loss is for most of us, 
But again, if you're trying to say, I want to, I want to have a better quality of life, I want to improve my functioning, the two goals of dealing with pain, those are the two goals that we keep stressing, then making a change, a small change in any one of those areas is going to start to make a difference. So just keep encouraging yourself to start wherever you are and just move a little bit forward mm-hmm. on that risk. And then when I think of diet, I read an article the other day, Linda, that one in four Americans do not eat vegetables. Yeah, and so the the anti-inflammatory diet has a lot of dark green leafy vegetables it on does. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And whole grains. And again, it's even if you go, I can't even get to that point, you know, Linda, maybe just thinking about taking out the processed food, you know, the junk foods with low nutritional value, the sodas, the simple sugars, like high fructose corn syrup, which is not good for anybody, you know, processed meat, white bread and pasta. If you can begin to eliminate some of those and maybe put something a little bit more uh, healthy in those places, even those changes, you may see a difference. And the biggest one we haven't mentioned is sleep. That's what my next question was. Yeah. Let's talk about that because that's a, a, that's gotta be the cornerstone of good health. Well, it's the it's a the sleep problems are a reliable predictor of pain. And I know a lot of people are listening going, well, yeah, if I could sleep, I can't sleep because I'm in pain. Right. But if you don't sleep, you're going to have even more pain because chronic pain can cause sleep problems and sleep problems can cause pain. So if you're really struggling in that area, it would be a good idea to get an evaluation um, from a physician about maybe a sleep study. Perhaps you have sleep apnea, which is creating sleep problems, or you can look at general sleep hygiene, which we outline in the book, look at ways to make the sleep environment better. It's better to get on a consistent um, sleep schedule. I actually did a show on Faith Radio Weekends about two weekends ago on the importance of sleep. That's podcasted. People could listen to that. So if you're having sleep problems, I had a sleep sleep expert on from that went to Duke University. He was awesome. Christian guy, he a physician who talked about, we talked about the importance of sleep and how to help people with that. I will definitely go listen to that because I know that when you get older, you make, you have to make sure you've got a, a good supportive bed. I think sometimes people will have the same bed for 25 years, not realizing that the bed they're on is probably causing them more harm than good. Yeah, he talked about everything from the type of mattress to the temperature in the room to um, putting your phone on that blue nightlight so that you don't have that LED light staring in your face and creating problems with your melatonin. It was actually a really great practical show. So um, people can probably just look it up on faithradio.com and um, see it because you can you can get a lot of help with your sleep that mm-hmm. way. Linda, let's talk about a good first step. There's a lot of people listening right now that are suffering, legitimately suffering, and what they're hearing is hopeful but not practical to them. Well, I, I do think you're going to have to look at all aspects of your life. And at the near the end of the book, we have a chapter on a personal pain plan. Mm-hmm. So if you start with the assumption there's hope, you can feel better, you don't have to feel bad every day, and, and God will help you through this process. And in the meantime, as you're you're really struggling with the pain, you know, begin to look at what is God doing in your life through that pain, and what is what are you learning as you move forward, and that will really help you. So there's a there's a section where it outlines every little thing that you can do to make a difference in your life, and you can start to put those down and maybe put a check by each one of them. And say, well, I'm going to start with one or two things today. Um, I'm going to start with letting go of my anger and not being so angry with God for the position I'm in. And maybe I'm going to let that go and start um, doing some forgiveness 
and some self-forgiveness. Maybe I'm going to get up every morning. I'm going to start with three phrases of gratitude. What is the one thing today, this morning, that I can feel grateful for? And I'm going to shift my attention to the positive from the negative. And if you go down that chapter with all the things you can do at the end of that, you'll have a personal pain plan that can really help you get moving. Mm -hmm. Linda, I know it's your birthday. So what are the big plans for tonight? I want to know everything. Oh, my husband was going to take me out, but he's such a gourmet cook. This is the truth. I told him that I would have a five-star meal with him cooking than if I went to a restaurant. So he's He's uh, grilling up the steaks and nice. star meal for me and sent me beautiful flowers um, that you can see on my Facebook and Instagram account because I put them up there. He's an <laughs> awesome guy. He's an awesome man. After all these years, he 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 does all the right stuff. Flowers and a great dinner. Oh, so, a good so you're having you're having steak tonight? I think so. I'm not big. I'm not a big red meat person. Okay. But once in a while, I like it. And so, you know, he makes fantastic steaks. So we're going to go with that. Well, it's awesome. Thank you for spending part of your birthday with us here at Faith Radio. It's just a delight to talk to you again. And, you know, and I'm just going to encourage people. We wrote this book for that 100 million people. And I know that's part of your listening, you know, audience here. So drlindamintel.com or just go to amazon.com and you can order the book. And mm-hmm. Get it and give it to people who are struggling. Our our true intent was to have compassion and empathy for people who have chronic pain and to really give them non-pharmacological solutions so they can get their life back. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you, Linda, and have a great birthday. All right. Great talking to you, yep, Bill. Take yep. care. You bet. Dr. Linda Mintel has been my guest. Her book, again, is called Living Beyond Pain, A Holistic Approach to Manage Pain and Get Your Life Back. We'll take a short break, and then Hour 2 is just ahead with John and Pam Bloom. Thanks for listening. Deep Programming like this is, is made called, available I think, through your Tuesday. support. Be right back. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com. <laughs>